0: I still see those things in my sleep. Even though it's been many months since I last saw them, you just can't stop yourself from visualizing one standing right above your bed when you close your eyes. But it gets just so much worse when these things tear away friends and families from their bodies instead of having to put a stranger out of their misery. That was probably too much info to take in, so let's start from the beginning. My name is Brad. I'm a police sergeant. I won't get into specifics about my personal life too much because that's not what it's all about here. I'm here to talk to you about the disease that wiped out our, more like changed, everyone in my hometown. It was a late chilly August evening. Aside from myself, there was Carter... Jack and Logan. For some quick background info, me and Carter had joined the police force as friends, but we had both met Jack and Logan at the job itself. Now that our vacation was coming to an end, we had decided to meet up at a campsite to experience the privilege of breathing the crisp nature air we really had time to cherish. We were all sitting on logs covered in a thick blanket of warmth from the bright campfire raging in front of us. After a while of talking about our lives and upcoming events, we sat in silence, save for the branches Jack was picking up in the fire, with his shotgun leaning on a small rock behind him. Since we work as law enforcers, we were given permission to own a firearm license and use it when we thought necessary. Wild animals or drunks occasionally slip by the woods at night so the double barrel was the only real thing ensuring our safety. It might sound a bit strange, but we live in a part of town that doesn't really mind all that. As I look back to the woods, recent memories begin to creep into the front of my mind as I fall into deep thought. I knew it would be best if I just embraced them and got it over with, but I still wasn't ready to let them go let alone face them. I try to clear my mind by attempting to rekinkle the conversation as I glaze upon the stars beginning to light the reddish sky. Nice night today, huh? I gestured upon my eyes as everybody else glanced up at the darkening sky. Yeah, replied Logan. Haven't seen this many stars in a while, added Jack. After that silence seemed to regain its composure and i slowly sank back deep into my mind though i never showed anything on the outside i would occasionally feel my locked up thoughts desperately trying to escape my lips but i didn't want to worry anyone so for now it was easy enough to brush it off as the aftermath of the dismal incident it'll pass i often told myself as i looked up from the grass I locked eyes with Carter sitting right next to my log. Through all the years together, Carter had learned to read me, even when I put on my most expressionless face. You okay, Brad? He asks. Yeah, I'm fine. I quickly respond as I break eye contact and look away. After a few more seconds of studying me, he signs. Cut the bull. what's bothering you? He questions, clearly not caring about the fact that he had just caught everybody else's attention. I'm fine, just thinking about that book I'm writing, I retort. Your crime novel? Come on, you don't just pull that out of nowhere, continues Carter. And besides, you never liked dealing with outlaws. Why remember all that, he says. Just... I stop wanted to tell others what shit they're getting themselves into if they decide to sign up, preparing them. I unenthusiastically blurt out. And with that, Carter felt quiet, weighing his options on what to say next. Tired of the whole ordeal, I blatantly kicked some nearby dirt as I looked to the sun beginning to touch the horizon. It's your girlfriend, isn't it? I jolted up to see that Logan has piped into the conversation. How'd you? You're in the blues. We all go through it. Just pick yourself up and there's plenty of fish in the sea, he announces as he lets out a quick chuckle. Yeah, me and I start. I'm about to have my emotions all leave my mouth at once when I hear a big piece of wood fall and I look in the dying fire. I shouldn't tell them. Not yet. We need to spark up the fire again. I'll go get us some more firewood. I hastily grab the bag we use for this job and hurriedly leave my groupmates, most of whom have gone back to doing their own thing. But as Carter puts the last of the remaining twigs into the fire, he looks at me with suspicion until I'm completely out of his sight. As I walk through the bushes into a more wooded area, I begin to feel irked. Who are they to judge what I do in my life? Carter always questioning everything. I spot a half snapped tree surrounding by thick branches. Jackpot. The frustration on my face quickly dissipates as I collect the cool but dry timber. That'll last us the entire night, if not more. With little light to guide me. I collect as much wood as the bag could hold before a repulsive stench hits my nose. Out of pure disgust, I cough a couple of times before putting a hand over my nose. <coughs> I know it sounds cliche, but at the moment, I smelt expired blood in the insides of a frog and testified by 200% all around me. I was about to leave when I heard a distorted growling noise. I looked deeper into the woods and only saw darkness as the sun's rays no longer reached this part of the forest. After a few more seconds of not moving an inch, I heard slow, seemingly distant footsteps. It was barely noticeable, but eventually the smell got stronger and the growl became more aggressive as the footsteps got louder and louder. It was only when my eyes started to water from the lack of blinking mixed with the rotten stench and the horrific sound mere yards from me that I bolted back to the direction of the camp. As I got closer to my destination, I began to hear faint noises of Jack's usual bragging about a girl in a barn, laughs coming from Logan and Carter. However... My burst of hope quickly diminished as I felt more isolated by the second as the footsteps behind me had now clearly turned into a run. Eventually, I saw the tiny fire barely illuminating three figures past the familiar bushes. I charged through all the sharp tree branches hanging in front of me, scraping my face not daring to look back. Finally, I crashed through the bushes and felt my shoulder impact on the rough ground below me once my breaths had filled my lungs with an adequate amount of oxygen i looked up to see that my friends were all gasping at me with a surprised and puzzled look they all held a bottle of heineken which explained why their laughs had suddenly ceased when i popped down right in front of them i no longer heard the footsteps but the relief of that did not compare to the terrified dreading feeling that screamed at me i glared at the double barrel shotgun ready to jump on it when Carter puts a hand on my shoulder he was the only person that looked relaxed in the group but when I looked into his eyes I only saw a curiosity mixed with concern let's get you up bud he says as he offers his hand I clasp it and get on my legs all right what's wrong My explanations seemed to come out of a jumble of words according to Carter's face, but out of all of it, at least he understood that something was wrong and we were in danger. Though hesitant, everyone caved in after a while of convincing. We had gone hunting yesterday, so our remaining ammo for the shotgun was low anyways. On the way back to the cabin, I managed to repeat everything I had said in a more calm demeanor but in the end, everyone was either looking at me like I had just uncovered a terrible truth or that I needed serious mental attention. I've been told that line isn't my strongest suit, though, which is probably the reason why they didn't give me up to a mental hospital then and there. So, you didn't actually see anyone? Jack asked curiously. I nodded as he scratched his stumble beard. It's your imagination, You've just been tense the past few weeks. It's just an instinct overreaction. Get some sleep, and you'll wake up fresh as a daisy. When we got back to the cabin, we all felt drowsy, dumping our clothes into the living room and heading off to our own small rooms to hit the hay. I vaguely remember wishing everyone a good night with my yawns. I remember hitting my pillow out of exhaustion, and I remember closing my eyes with thinking everything would be okay tomorrow. My optimism wouldn't last. I woke up in a sweat, hearing loud voices downstairs. I flung on a t-shirt and some jeans before running out of my door and feverishly stumbling down the stairs. As I was going down, I heard, What the hell is that? and Get the shotgun! I wasn't surprised to find everyone was already down there aside from Jack arguing about what to do next. What's going on? I shouted. Logan turns to me wide-eyed and explains the situation. I woke up in the middle of the night to get some water from the kitchen so I came down here. Looking out of the window and see that! He points to someone standing right outside the backyard window and i felt a chill run down my spine as the commotion around me progresses i continued peering at the person or at least someone that looked like a person on the other side of the window he had pale skin and brown hair that was beginning to fall out with a black liquid trickling down his mouth in a sick way it reminded me of saliva oozing out of a baby's mouth and then there were the eyes The white bloodshot eyes. But that's not what chilled me to the bone. What truly stopped this thing from being called a human were the exotically molecular growls it was making. The same growls I heard in the woods. Except now, they were much, much closer. I looked back to my companions to see Jack had joined us and had his hand on the backyard door. I'm gonna put a hole in that son of a bitch. Who the hell does he think he is barging in the middle of the night, waking everybody up and not even giving a damn? He fiercely shouts. Jack, look. You don't know what this thing is. Just calm down and let's all figure this out. I shouted back, but the door is already open and it's inside. I hear a sharp explosion and then a scream before it's on Jack. It all seemed to happen so fast. Logan was frozen in place. Carter was trying to pull the thing off while Jack was desperately screaming for us to get it off him. I spot the double barrel lying beside the struggle and I know I only have one shot. I promptly grab the shotgun, click off the safety, pull back the forehand, concentrate and aim just as Carter shoved the thing to the wall. My fingers pulled back the trigger and the double barrel recoils just as it gets up. The cartridge collides to its shoulder and a squirt of blood leaves its upper chest as it swiftly falls backward and collapses on the wooden tiles. Logan and Carter run to help Jack while I take off the two remaining shells from the shotgun sling and reload after inserting them into the loading port. I'm not risking an empty gun if more of these things stop by. I run over to check on Jack who's squirming in pain. Are you alright? I worriedly asked him. Yeah just a flesh wound but that little fucker actually bit me right here he wheezes for air as he points to his neck where the thing's teeth marks revealed to have made a wide gash filled with blood and the black liquid that began to flood his clothes what was the problem with that logan's voice is cut off by those damn growls i slowly turn around to see the impossible it had gotten back up Its shoulder was limp and the force of my shot had caused the skin and bone to be destroyed which inside now showed a weak shoulder of blood dribbling down its ribs. And I swear, I thought I saw a part of its lungs as well. And it was still standing it took me a few moments to notice all this and when i did i saw the thing was now advancing forward glaring into my soul with such hatred that i felt it would search every fairy corner in hell until it found and killed me i stumbled with my shotgun while the others urgently shouted at me to shoot it but by the time it's pointed at the thing it's only a few feet away in a mix of fear and confusion I fire my last two shells at its head and torso and feel the double barrel's rear smash against my chest as a bright yellow light flashes from its muzzle. Over the sound of my ears ringing, I hear a thud and look up to see the thing laying on the ground, hopefully for good this time. I drop the shotgun and run to check the corpse when I hear Jack's wheezing had stopped and now turned into slow, forced breaths my pace quickly turns into a jog as i turn to jack's direction and shock overtakes me when i see his skin had become pale like the things and he was now periodically coughing up blood carter get him an ambulance me and logan will i didn't get to finish my sentence as jack begins coughing again but this time instead of blood he hacks up a few drops of that black substance that landed on my shirt usually I'd act very differently if this happened. But at that moment, the fear of my friend greatly overpowered my spark of disgust. All my attention is on Jack as he begins to talk with a raspy voice. It's too late. It's taking over. I can't control it anymore. And with that, his muscles relax and he stops breathing. Carter pulls his head towards his neck to check his pulse and then soundlessly gets back up with his head pointed downwards. Jack was dead. We all stood in silence for a few moments before Logan speaks up. It had to be that thing, right? The black goo it gave him. It was poisonous or something. Then I asked the question I still regret to this day. What did he mean by it was taking over him? Carter still looking at the floor hesitantly answers maybe the substance infected his blood which caused the primary organs to shut down maybe he thought he was losing control of them while they actually just stopped operating he says this to himself more than us so death was taking over him Logan asks I don't know Carter bleakly says as he pushes his hand into his face Then the whole situation really sinks in. Jack was gone. We hadn't saved him in time. If I had warned him earlier and gone out to kill that disgrace of a human being, then Jack would still have survived. It's all my fault. I was the one with the gun. We're all choking back tears now. It's been a while since I had someone close pass away. It's so depressing to re-enter that phase where you remember all those great times you were with them and then slowly being swallowed up by the painful realization that you will never experience any of that ever again but there was something else that bothered me jack was around my height but he was no small guy 6'2 in fact to see him slip away in a matter of minutes seconds after a bite was in some ways more shocking than sad i looked at the group and see logan pacing around the room what are we going to tell the guys at the station His family, they're all going to think that we did it, he inquires. And in all honesty, Logan is a pretty chill guy, and to see him this nervous didn't help our situation. Carter opens his mouth to say something when I hear a disturbing moaning sound. We instantly turn our backs to confront the noise, and then we see where it's coming from. No, no, he's not that thing. He's not that humanoid. Jack or the creature that had stripped his soul from his body was now standing with its back towards us observing the surroundings in front of it somehow me and Carter knew it wasn't our Jack but Logan thought differently it's a miracle he's alive he shouts in joy as he runs towards the humanoid for a hug hands outstretched we grab Logan and tell him that that's not the real Jack but he retorts by saying that it is and he's alive. With surprising force, he violently pushes us off and runs towards the dead Jack. Just as he's about to reach the thing, it turns and we see white eyes where its pupils once were, only red veins remain like rivers on a map. His moans had gotten more aggressive now, similar to growls, and when he opened his mouth, The same black goo was visible, bubbling deep in his throat. Logan began to back off, but the creature snaps its head back and lunges right at him. It crashes into his shoulder and knocks him to the ground. All the while, Logan was switching between swearing the most he ever had in his life and pushing the creature's chin from his shoulder. We ran to help him, but just as we were almost there, the thing finally managed to get its teeth into his skin and sank them deep into his chest. I'm bit! You can't save me! Get out of here! Get help! He desperately implores. We both stared at the scene before us, deciding what to do next before looking at each other and dashing to the decrepit BMW in the front yard. On the run back... I almost tripped when my gaze lingered too long on the slimy intestines spilled out onto the dead thing's stomach that now had its shattered skull turned into a fountain of red. The combination of that and the echoes of Logan screaming slicing the air didn't help my coordination. Once I was finally outside, I spotted Carter running towards the car whom I followed, having the cool fresh air against my quiff hair ever so slightly. I jumped into the front passenger seat of our vehicle and slammed the door shut as Carter flared up the engine and turned on the headlights. We sped off into the night, attempting to comprehend everything that had happened. Even though new questions popped up every minute, there was a few that still stuck out. How did Jack die from a bite? How did he get back up? Will Logan share the same fate? As my sea of questions rose i began to feel a headache coming along as well as a tingling fatigue just as i was about to pass out carter startled me awake so where exactly are we going he said in an obnoxious manner as he taps his fingers on the wheel i got no idea i plainly responded i happened to glance downwards as i said this and i saw the same few drops of black glue jack had spilled on me right after he was bitten hey carter I've still got that black shit on me, by the way. I nervously told him. He glances at my shirt and then back onto the road before he responds. Just don't touch it. You could change it when we arrive at my house. Problem is, it's far away. I grumbled in annoyance. When I really thought about it, I realized all our houses were far away. In fact, the only standing structure I knew around this area was... Bingo! Carter, we're going to the station. Out here, it's only about five or ten minutes' drive. You sure, Brad? He responds. You think the chief's still awake by now? And besides, he's probably going to think we're insane. Relax. Look at the chief's never doubted me. And who knows how bad this thing is if it's infectious. He must have gotten reports of this. And if not, we'll tell him we're just tired and walk out the doors and figure everything out in the morning. Plus, I don't know how long I could be in safety with this shirt on." Carter gives me a suspicious, almost unsatisfied look before his face relaxes. "'Then let's go,' he says nonchalantly. And with that, we make a left turn to drive out of the woods and to the station. When we arrived, there weren't many lights rebelling against the early morning. We got out of our BMW and locked the doors. As we got closer to the foggy glass doors we heard chattering from inside. We reached the doors and pulled them open. Inside was the chief standing with a thick black mustache and a few strings of hair that remained plastered on his head. Beside his hand holding his daily cup of Joe's stood one of my co-workers that looked to be on duty. His surprise quickly turned into a heartwarming smile. Brad Carter! What are you doing out here? Shouldn't you be resting under some warm covers while you have the time? He gives out a jolly laugh as he walks over to us and gives us two nice pats on the back. What can I do for you? He asks. Sorry for barging in like this, Chief Noah, but we have something important we need to tell you. Maybe you could fill us in on this. We explain a bit of what happened, leaving out the most unbelievable parts. When we finish, his face shows nothing but curiosity. However, his eyes are undoubtedly filled with panic. A couple of seconds pass in silence before he speaks again. All right, boys, I'll make sure that this is dealt with, he states. But you two need to get some rest. And with the bags under your eyes, you're in no condition to drive. The drowsy feeling I had before hit me with the severe force I realized I am in bad shape to drive, I spare a glance at Carter and saw that he was no different than me, maybe worse. So here's what we'll do, the chief continues. We're going to get you to a place to sleep for the night. He peers at my BMW through the window. And then when you wake up fresh in the morning, you'll safely drive back home, he finishes. I muster up a weak smile at the chief as he sends someone over to escort us to our rooms. Hey. You have something on your shirt there. Our escort notifies me as we reach my room. Oh yeah, got some dirt on it. It isn't coming off. Do you have a shirt that I could borrow here? I lie. Uh, yeah, sure. Should I throw your current shirt in the wash? Yeah, thanks a lot. I cut him off, not wanting him to ask any questions. He leaves and comes back a minute later with a fresh shirt from the dryer. I snatch it walk into my room and change my shirt. Once that's done, I come out, thanking him again and walk into the room for the night. After that, I can't remember what I did, but the memory of the chief whispering a code blue into his radio accompanied by a command to send two units over to our cabin location just before he was out of earshot lingering in my mind long after I fell into deep sleep. When I awoke from my slumber, the sun's rays were already flashing through the tops of my window. I look at the clock, it shows 12.27. Usually, I would jump up if I woke up at this time, but again, recalling previous events, I didn't care what time I woke up for now. I looked down at my shirt to be sure that the black spot was no longer there when I realized that I hadn't changed my clothes last night. After a few quick stretches, I open the door and walk out to the station's living room where I see Carter and a few other officers lounging on the chairs and sofa with their cups of coffee. Not in the mood for a cup, I walk down to Carter and grab a donut on the way. So, where's the big guy? I asked Carter. My guess is that he's out cold, must have been up all night, Carter answered, taking a sip of his coffee. I take a bite of my donut as I steal a seat next to Carter. I'm about to put my head on the sofa when our escort from last night comes up to us. Good morning, did you guys sleep well? He asked. Yeah, we had a good rest, I responded. So we finished washing your shirt and most of it came off but there's still a little bit left right there. He points to the dark spot that remains on my clean white shirt. Damn it. Oh, right. Thanks again. I reply, carefully taking the shirt from his hands without touching the black spot. Our escort smiles and wishes us a wonderful day before he leaves. I'm kind of tired of having a shirt be one of my main problems, I tell Carter. Tough luck, he guesses. Come on, I'm starting to get a bit homesick after all of this. I chomp down the last bits of my donut while Carter gulps down the remainder of his drink. After we're done, we get up and walk outside. I throw my dirty shirt in the nearest trash can, glad to get rid of it, and embrace the warm, soothing air. I get into the BMW and slowly lean on the slightly burning driver's seat. The air inside my car was humid, which hinted the sun was already starting to bake it. I hastily turn on the air conditioner before the insides of my car become a blazing banya. I turn the key for the ignition and press on the gas while informing Carter that I was going to drop him off at his house first. We didn't talk much on the drive back, and while that might seem a bit odd for us since we're usually pretty energetic when it comes to conversations, what's even more strange is that the frequent traffic we often bump into is nowhere in sight. Sure. There were cars that occasionally followed or zoomed by us, but not enough to cause a real traffic jam. Even more, there seemed to be an increased amount of police everywhere as well. We didn't pay too much mind to this, however, and we eventually reached Carter's house where he jumped off and promised to give me a call later. As soon as he entered his house, I turned back into the direction of the cabin. To this day, I still think that I was better off not going, but at the time... I still felt I needed to know the truth. I knew Carter would disagree, which is why I was going alone. I needed to know what really happened to Jack and Logan. The ride was shorter than I expected, though that made sense since we usually had a numerous amount of stalls on the way there. But now nothing could distract me, I determinedly made my way to the old house. When I arrived, it was well past brunch. I parked my car a good distance from the lodge not wanting to attract attention. As I expected, when the entire part of the front of the house was visible, I noticed a cop car standing right in front of the cabin where I'd barely make out a figure through the half-cracked open window. I quickly hid behind some trees. If any of my co-workers recognized me, there would surely be questions on why I was there during my vacation right after I reported an attack there just a day ago. I waited for a few minutes, hoping for some miracle that would make whoever was there leave and not getting anything. I was just about to head back when I heard a loud voice coming from inside the car. I looked back and saw the person inside now held a small black object. His radio He looked distraught and a few seconds later he put down the radio and flared his cruiser while simultaneously turning on the sirens and driving right past my hiding spot as I ducked behind some bushes. When the coast was clear and I couldn't hear the sounds of the screeching tires anymore, I made a run for the cabin. I got to the door and tried to open it but it was locked or barricaded from the inside. should have come earlier. Then I remembered the backyard. The wooden fence wasn't that tall and I could probably climb over it. Before doing so, I listened for any noise. It didn't seem like there was any, and they didn't have time to set up any cameras in there. At this point, I was too dogged to stop myself, so I brazenly grabbed the top of the fence and pulled myself over. I landed on the grass and turned the corner to the grilling area where the back door was and I was taken back. I knew the backyard would be a bit messy from our struggle but the new scene was unsettling. More furniture was tossed over and it now looked like someone had spilled a full bucket of black goo instead of a few drops we saw last night. The same repulsive smell I smelt in the woods and on my shirt had also returned police had quite a time yet something told me that I needed to continue onwards and find out what happened last night perhaps an instinct I followed the scent as it got stronger the only thing that I could do to stop myself from vomiting was breathing through my mouth but even then I still felt its ominous presence and then at the very edge of the backyard I saw a white bag lying on the orange leaves with what looked like a shovel situated on the fence. As I got closer, I realized that what I was looking at was a body bag. On closer examination, I noticed a small part of the bag at the top was unfolded. As the angle I was at, I couldn't see inside, but a couple of steps forward would. After taking a deep breath. I leaned my head sideways and immediately saw that the corpse inside was filled with bullet holes in the black goo like in all the others infected. And then I recognized the person as the crippled rotting body of Logan. I've had enough of this! I thought as I sprinted in the direction of the BMW. I jumped over the fence and stopped in my tracks. In front of me stood a policeman with a fresh cut who I assumed was trying to grow a beard. I braced for the incoming questions, but then realized the man standing in front of me was Gerald. Me and him weren't really close, but since we both work at the same station and with the others, I could say we were acquaintances. Brad? He asked as he took his glasses off to inspect me. are you still on break? Why are you here? It's a long story. Did you get assigned here? Yeah, just right now they needed someone to fill in the case. The others... He stopped realizing he had said too much. Well, they had other matters to deal with. Anyways, what are you doing here again? He presses. I really didn't know what to say. I mean, I can't think of a good lie, but I can't think of a good way to put the truth either. Then I remembered the chief's reaction. He was definitely hiding something back there, and if he knows something, then maybe he told the others on duty like Gerald. I decided to give it a shot and confess everything to him pretty quickly. I don't know, yesterday me, Carter, Jack, and Logan were camping, then we went back inside in the middle of the night this thing with black goo bit Jack and we took it down but then Jack started spitting the black goo and bit Logan. You... uh, you already saw them? He asks. Saw who? Biters. He barks out for a few seconds. Some kind of disease going around. They'll tell you everything when you get back on the job. He turns to leave, but I stop him. Look, I lost two people I've known for years last night. Can you just tell me what the hell is going on here? He signs and looks into my eyes. I'm not allowed to say anything to anyone, but look, these biters are multiplying. Lock your doors and try not to go outside too much. That's all I can offer. Enjoy the rest of your vacation. I take in all of this relatively slowly, but I still managed to thank him and drive back home. After that, it was difficult to be at ease whenever I remembered what Gerald told me, which is why I slept a lot. It was a good distraction, but in the back of my mind I always knew that this thing wasn't getting better, only worse. And I knew when I got called in, the real fun begins. All right, that's enough storytelling. I'm going to take my pills now. Nothing good ever happens with my mood when I remember all this. I'll tell you the rest later, but for now, farewell. Hey. So I'm back. At first, I was hesitant at the thought of continuing all this, but after reading your comments on my previous post, I've come to the realization that this nightmare will never stop haunting me unless I just finish it. If you haven't seen the previous part, I recommend you do so right now since I'm about to tell you what might be confusing if you haven't already. But if you have, here's the rest of the story. Surprisingly, whatever this thing was, was spreading slightly slower than I expected. I was called in the day after I was at the station, but nevertheless, I still got a day to get my bearings with all the help of sleep. I even managed to spare a little time on some research of this disease. The day after I talked with Gerald, I woke up around 6 in the morning. Made sense though, he did head off to bed pretty early the previous day. The first thing i did when i woke up was i made myself a cup of tea with some toast when i turned on the tv i was a bit shocked to see that this thing hadn't made it headlines or breaking the news but it was simply acknowledged at the bottom of the screen wherever a few sentences were often repeated stating that there's a new virus that had made landfall in our surrounding area and staying indoors was advised to avoid sickness at that moment The only thing on my mind was preservation of human lives, so I was grateful that at least some efforts were being made to stop the infection. I mean, the less of these things the better. After I finished watching the news, I decided to try and dig up some facts about this new disease, hoping to at least get something that'll give a little background info about the origin or cause of this virus's effects. At the end of the day my eyelids were beginning to stick shut because of the dwelling desire i wasted hours upon while discovering few revelations of the virus that was scattered across the edges of the internet however i had found out that the virus was officially called the fb or flesh biting virus which when makes contact with blood in the human body completely eradicates the immune system ...and soon after enters the brain where it gains complete control over its actions. It wasn't much, but after a day of non-stop typing, you're really just grateful for whatever you get. Right after supper, Carter gave me a call which I had completely forgotten about. It took me a while to fish out my phone which had somehow made its way underneath the couch pillows... ...but I eventually managed to grab it and picked up the call. Hey Brad you there he asked yeah yeah i'm here how are you not too good i still don't get what the hell is happening and now that jack and logan are gone he pauses well it hasn't been easy what about you hasn't been great for me either but i did figure out what happened with jack and logan when that thing bit jack Some of its liquid got into its bloodstream, and when that happens, the virus takes complete control over you and does whatever, I told him. Well, I wasn't as lucky as you. Nobody's answering my calls. Wait, what do you mean? Family, friends, co-workers, even the chief's phone just goes to voicemail, and you know he's always on top of the game, he signs. Something really messed up is going on here. That's when I realized something. Aside from Carter, nobody has called today. While I was processing the information, I heard a doorbell being rung on the other line. Uh, Sorry, gotta go, someone's here. We'll talk later, alright? Good night. He hurriedly said before I heard the buzz of a decline button. By that point, I was beginning to feel a weariness taking over me. But just before I laid down in my bed, I decided to call someone up. I put the phone to my ear to be met with the dull, call-failed sound. My eyes cracked open to see a white light creeping through the cracks of my upside-down phone. My ringtone was emanating from it, so I quickly grabbed it and turned it the other way around. My heart skipped a beat when I saw who it was, and I quickly swiped right to answer the call. Chief, where have you been? You didn't pick up my call last night. Yeah, sorry about that. I know I usually pick up on the second ring, but lately I've had enough on my back to know where my blasted phone was. Look, I don't have much time, but we need you at the station, ASAP. I'm on my way. The phone call ends, and I check the time. 4.17 AM. Above the time there is this emergency notification sent about an hour before our phone call head indoors immediately lock your doors and under no circumstances allow any individuals into your house anticipate further notifications the message sent a chill down my spine as i pulled the covers off me and pulled on my socks I hastily got my jeans and flung on the tank top in which I rushed downstairs to put on my shoes. Once I was outside, I ran inside my BMW and twisted the key for the ignition as the headlights turned on and shone through the darkness in front of me. On the way to the station, the roads were absent of any civilians and humans overall, aside from the lights illuminating rooms and houses and other cruisers speeding by in front of me. As I got closer to the station, I couldn't help but feel a gut feeling emerging in my stomach as memories from a couple of days flashed back in my mind, and all of us sitting at the campfire before shotguns echoed through the cabin, and that thing, that monster limping towards me with those cold, lifeless eyes. When it became too much, I didn't know what else to do but turn on the radio. I flicked through the stations, trying to find something relaxing. Eventually... I managed to settle on some 1960s jazz. When I finally arrived, I saw there were nearly no police cars stationed at the parking lot. As I walked up to the building, I saw there were two armed guards standing beside the main entrance. Name? One of them asked as he pulled out a clipboard. Uh, Brad? I answered. Last, Harrison. After assessing the names on his clipboard a bit longer, he glances up at me. You're clear, head on in. What I found inside can only be described as the most literal clusterfuck I have ever seen. Receptionists were frantically answering phone calls while police officers were constantly moving from one place to another. Through the chaotic scene, I managed to squeeze through the crowd and find the chief in his office with one hand sliding through his hair and the other holding onto a phone he was breathlessly talking into. I cracked open his door and quickly slid inside. He said a few last words into the phone before feverishly placing it back down onto his desk. Brad, it's good that you're here. Look, I'm sorry I didn't tell you everything before, but... He stops. It's for the best. What do you mean? I asked him already knowing the answer. Look, those things that it got Jack and Logan, it's this new virus. They thought that they could keep it locked up, but of course now the incursion happens, damn it. Look, son, there's been an outbreak of these biters in an area close to town that stretches all the way to your cabin. Carter is already waiting for you in the car when you get to the center Harper will tell you what to do he leans in a bit closer to me if anything goes wrong I need you to take out as many of those bastards as you can muster before enforcements arrive all right you could count on me sir I said proceeding to leave and get him in the heart One shot is all it takes, he shouts just before I shut his door. Still processing the jumble of information the chief gave me, I put on my uniform and found my gear. Can't blame him, though. He has a lot of things on his hands right now. I jogged to the main entrance where Carter was now waiting for me with the engine on. I jumped in to hear his usual complaints. Took you long enough. Where you been? he questioned. Just drive, I told him as he pushed on the gas. I wasn't looking forward to our meeting with Harper because me and him never had the best relationship. I was almost certain he'd give me a hard time, especially because of the incident last week when I tripped and accidentally spilled my latte all over his shirt. Ever since, he's been giving me annoying looks whenever the chance comes up. As we entered a tunnel... I turned up the radio to momentarily divert myself from my problems it took a few seconds for the static to clear up a bit but when it did I tuned out all other distractions and tilted my head closer to the radio emergency alert all around the region anyone still not inside should reach their households as soon as possible If your current establishment is not within a five to ten minute drive, then head to one of the nine police checkpoints installed around the city. Refrain from approaching anyone you see outside of your car. If the person you see looks suspicious, contact the authorities and stay away. I promptly turned off the radio, not wanting to instigate any unnecessary thoughts. I glanced at Carter, suddenly remembering I wasn't the only one in the car. But he was still looking at the road lost in his own ocean of thoughts when we exited the tunnel i heard something zoom over us i lowered my window and saw a couple of helicopters soaring past us as they searched the ground with their radiant spotlights the rest of the drive itself wasn't too long though it seemed to take hours as we got closer to our destination We saw more and more police cruisers blocking exits as the occasional SWAT and CDC units roamed the streets. Sometimes, we even heard the intermediate piece of gunshots being fired somewhere off in the distance. Where exactly are we going? I asked. Sector 2 part of the city. At least, that's what Harper said. Yeah, I was wondering, have you heard from his captain? Uh... No, actually. I guess you'll have to ask him, Carter responded. When we finally reached our destination, the sight in front of me was ghastly. The nature-friendly environment had lost its pristinity and had now been turned into a full-on government outpost with law officers swarming the area. Petrified civilians were ushered into a designated area as they gave nervous side glances towards a metal fence on the other side of the outpost. As we got out of the car, Carter checked his holster to make sure his pistol was there. I did the same and strapped my shotgun over my shoulder. After asking around, We progressed towards Harper, passing more panicked faces and constantly shielded our eyes and ears from the multiple searchlights regularly scanning all areas in the outpost, as well as the blaring car siren just out of view. Everywhere you went, you could see yellow caution tape plastered in between two trees leading deeper into the forest. Eventually, we found Harper in the middle of it all, barking out orders through his microphone connected to some loudspeakers. A truck was sitting behind him with a soldier operating a machine gun nestled on its rear end. When we were close enough to him, his deafening voice was cut off as he turned his obnoxiousness to us. So where the hell have you two idiots been? It's hard enough organizing a bunch of clueless citizens, but when I have to deal with tardiness... He silently glares at us, waiting for an apology. Uh, We're sorry, Lieutenant. Carter answers. Won't happen again. Hey, by the way, Harp Lieutenant, where's your captain? I asked. Harper looked at me dumbstruck, almost like I'd offended him. Brad, that's none of your business, but if you're so interested, he's at some kind of important meeting, gave me orders, and left me in charge. Okay, I reply. He looks at me as if expecting more, but embarrassingly realizes that's all I'm going to say, something I take genuine satisfaction from. He signs before speaking. All right, I'm going to say this once so you better listen closely. Carter, I'm going to need you to keep an eye out on the civilians, they're unpredictable right now so keep them at bay. Carter gives a quick wave for us before leaving. And Mr. Harrison, Harper said, as if my name was repulsive. He lit his cigar and looked around the park before speaking. I need you to get on that platform and defend this outpost. He points to a platform situated on top of the same fence the people had quickly moved away from. It was intertangled in barbed wire and someone already standing on the platform. For a moment, I can't hear Harper as he continues blabbering on with some instructions, but he quickly notices. Beyond that, are you even listening to me? You gotta work on your attention span, Harrison. If something like this happens again, then you're gonna get one good talk from the chief. Sorry, I said glazing back at Harper. That's sorry lieutenant to you. I look Harper right in the eye for him to know I'm listening while using all my willpower not to strangle him right then and there. He mutters an insult before proceeding with his senseless lecture. Like I was saying, if you get too close to the edge of the fence, you'll get a refreshed definition of the word death. He deliberately puffs out a cloud of smoke threateningly close to my face so you better watch out I don't remember the rest of what he said But I do remember him giving me a radio to contact me if anything seemed wrong Before I knew it I was climbing up the ladder to my temporary job When my foot stepped on the last steel bar, I looked up and saw the person I had seen up there before What immediately stood out was his eyes they looked dull and tired, and when I looked into them I saw nothing but a dark void beneath them. Aside from that, he looked like he'd been in his late twenties, and by the looks of it, his dark uniform hinted his allegiance with the local SWAT team. His uniform also complimented his assault rifle, which was flung over him. As I finished my ascent, he gave me a slight nod before looking back in the direction he was previously fixed on. As my eyes glazed lower past the barbed wire at the ominous ground below us, I froze. The already dirt roads were littered with corpses of humans and biters alike. What the hell happened here? I shot with dread building up in my voice. It used to be worse. The scouting squad managed to take out the ones near the gate and put out the fires. My nearby companion says in a conventional tone. What, scouting squad? I inquire. Just a couple hours ago, a group went in there, cleared out some of the biters, but they should have been back an hour ago, and now that nobody can reach them, we stand in silence for a few moments. Well, we're supposed to keep a lookout for them, if they come back. Something about his way just seemed familiar, so out of curiosity, I asked him a few questions. He introduced himself as Tyler, and that's something that clicked in me when I remembered the guy from the homicide case we had worked with years back. Once I reminded him of it, I saw that glint of familiarity flashed in his eyes. Sector 2 units are advised to transfer to their nearby outpost air force command had notified a large number of biders shifting to the western area of the city proceed with caution and keep a lookout after listening to the message coming from our radios tyler releases a breath before speaking did i ever tell you she was one of my mom's friends uh no no you didn't were they close i asked not really But she was sensitive about these things. Barely talked to anyone during those weeks, he signed. Almost like remembering an old wound that never healed. Deciding to lighten him up, I changed the subject to something more nostalgic. It took a while, but eventually, he managed to crack a smile. In fact, at one point we were laughing so badly, Tyler nearly tripped over the railing that separated us from the barbed wire. After that, our chuckles began to die down, and I started to hear the faint growls in the distance. After a while, it started to get irritating, but I didn't dare say a word. Better to be safe than sorry. Eventually, I got bored with my subconscious steering contest with these carcasses, and even though our chatter somewhat blocked out the groans, they were still starting to drive me mad. A change in scenery was imminent, so I casually looked over my shoulder to look at what was happening behind me. The world seemed to have lost some of its colors, almost like some of its life it used to have possessed now drained out of it. It was like the universe itself was desperately dragging itself along with time, trying its best not to fall behind. More and more civilians were being brought along into the safe zones while patrols kept a wide eye on the roads. Just as I was trying to get a closer look at what was happening, something shone in my face and I put my hand up in front of me to block out the luminous light. Once the shimmers of the glare left the unprotected spaces between my fingers, I looked back at the main road and saw a minivan had driven up to the outpost, filled with intoxicated teens who were drunkenly smashing the side of their vans while letting out a crazy hoots. A couple of officers eventually got beside their vehicle, and once they intimidated the driver of the minivan to open his window, the officers tried to get the teenagers to calm down and follow their given instructions. However, as each passing second came and went, the air got silent and tense as the drunks stood firm on the refusal to comply with the officers' voices raised in pitch. Eventually, the cops lost their patience and after radioing in for a few more officers, they unbuckled their batons ready for a full-on push. And then, something happened nobody was ready for. The driver of the minivan hollered, You ain't never taking me alive! Before yanking back his gear to drive and speeding straight through the barricade tape as his tires screeched, The minivan made sharp turns and unexpected curves as law units jumped out of its way while they clumsily got out their pistols and began to fire at the tires, attempting to slow it down. The bullets seemed to be made out of plastic, though, since most of them just kept bouncing off of the wheels. Also, shots continued to ring in the air. I cursed under my breath, while simultaneously getting out my Remington... And firing off my own few rounds when the van was close enough, managing to get a big enough hole in one of the tires for it to become completely defective. But even as more and more of its tires kept losing air, the friction on the ground kept the van sliding in the direction of the opposite side of our fence where people were standing in alternative platform. It was only when the minivan was more than 10 meters from their platform did they jump off, barely making it into safety. Just as the minivan violently crashed through the fence, creating a wide gap in it and toppling the platform in the process. After that, the driver seemed to have lost control of his vehicle because it steered off course and was speeding straight towards the alleyway corner. A couple of the van's passengers managed to jump out through its windows just before it collided with the wall, its loud crash rippling the air around it. Officers rushed to the scene with medics not far behind. The runners were the first ones we pressed. And not long after, all cuffed and grouped together being ushered into the truck with bars serving as windows, while the other group was hastily being led into the ambulance. While everyone was busy gasping at what had unfolded before them, I was more focused on the ever-growing moaning coming from the right corner of the building the van had driven into. A knot formed in my stomach as my hand gripped the stock of my shotgun. And then, a decrepit head appeared following by a rotted body and finally its bruised legs. But that wasn't all. There was a small group trooting along with it but when they spotted the crowd before them, their truding turned into a charge. Get out of there! I instinctively clamored as I took two shots at the thing's torsos while the shotgun vigorously hit my chestplate. Shrieks erupt from below me as the medic's grips loosen and the now sober teens scramble past puzzled officers. As the other teens in the truck desperately rattle the bars blocking their escape, the deputies, with seemingly little experience, pay no mind to them and slowly retreat back into the outpost. Even as they try to steady as many shots at the incoming biters as possible, their aim also seems to be just off. On top of that, this only irritates the biters as they quicken their approach. The other officers hurry their way inside. One stands out from the rest, attempting to stop the biters with a strict order for them to halt. By the time he realizes the true nature of these things, one has already assailed him. By the time SWAT members arrived and take out the remainder of the biters, the courageous officer is sprawled on the floor, convulsing in the same black substance Jack did back at the cabin. Everybody was reluctant at the thought of what had to be done. Most were stalling or were calming their fellow co-worker, telling him it would be okay throughout his discombobulation. ''Kill him!'' ''Shoot him in the chest!'' Harper shouts over the crowd. ''You want him to become one of those things?'' A few long seconds pass at which an officer reluctantly retrieves his pistol and leveling at the man's skull. He whispers something before a reverberating bang echoes through the base. Some that know the man stay transfixed on the crimson liquid blossoming on his head while others turn away and bury their hands in their face, including the person that put him out of his misery. Before long, white hazmat suits come arriving and split into two groups. One started patching up the gap in the metal fence, while the other carefully examined the now cool corpse of the officer before gingerly picking it up and carrying him away. As much as I wanted to mourn for the poor soul like the rest, I couldn't ignore it the all but familiar scent begorning through the air. As much as I wanted to chalk it up to my lately overactive senses, it became harder and harder to do so as the smell strengthening to the point where it seemed like it was nearly palpable. Holy shit! Look at how many there are! Tyler points to an area about 30 meters from us at approximately 1 o'clock from our point of view. No less than 40 biters are making their way closer and closer to our position. Even though I know we don't have much time, I can't help myself but think, Wow, are they so pissed off at the losing a handful of their buddies that they're sending five times as many? Mentally scolding myself for wasting time, I silently pull out my radio and pin down the speech button. My breath crackles through it as I begin to speak. We've spotted a biter horde advancing towards the Midwest outpost, over. I peer back at Harper who's still standing on his imaginary throne. He looked to be talking to a frustrated family of three standing next to him but was now frozen in his tracks. He gives me a quick glance to confirm what I was saying was true to which I nod. He hurriedly sends the family away before snatching his own radio and pulling it to his mouth. Through my intercom, I heard, Code Blue, I repeat, Code Blue. All available law professionals in Sector 2 report to the defensive points. Medical personnel, get the civilians to safety. Officers speedily jogged to their positions, swiftly ducking under whatever cover they could find to safely shoot through the small openings in the metal fence. SWAT members either team up with the police or... Or obstruct the gap abandoned by the defenseless hazmat suits which had long scattered by now the biters are aware of our presence and have begun running Tyler already has his assault rifle in hand and after one look at me for preparation fires off his first few rounds followed by a series of gunfire from below the platform ignoring the cold sensation of the metal in my hands I nimbly pull back the fore end of my Remington and aim at the first biter in sight. A gauge blows out of the gun and my head is sharply tilted upwards. When I glance back down, the biter seemed to be dead but at that point, other biters have already trampled past his body. I took another shot at the chest of the biter just ahead of his crowd. This process repeated a few more times. But even through my shots were reinforced by sporadic outbursts of the semi-autos. The waves just kept coming. At one point, the biters reached the SWAT members holding a makeshift barricade for the gap. The first one went down quickly, but as more bodies began to pile up, it became harder for them to adjust the movement of their guns. Eventually, The SWAT team was overwhelmed and became vulnerable, something the biters took advantage of as they entered the outpost. My radio burst to life, and through the static, I could make out. Breached the Sector 2 outpost. Immediate backup requested. The machine gun, which up until now was wary of its bullets taking down the fence, let out a barricade of gunfire down on the biters inside temporarily halting their flood into the outpost I look at Tyler who's entranced by this whole ordeal those spiders are gonna reach us at any second we gotta jump I apprehensively shout to him he snaps out of it and jumps over the railing down onto the floor I follow and land with a sharp pain escalating through my leg I ignore it and rush the Tyler but just before I reach him a group of officers block my way, shooting and taking out some of the biters coming after them. I look behind me and see multiple of those things ripping out pieces of flesh from their victim. They turn to me and I know I don't have any other choice. I start running and I don't know where I'm going but anywhere as long as those things aren't there. My foot catches on a rock and I collapse on the hard stone beneath me. As I'm getting up, I see the machine gun truck now surrounded by biters. In a desperate move, it takes out as many biters around it as it can before one grabs onto its side and jumps on the gun operator before crawling inside to the driver. The wails nearly make my body uncontrollably fall back down, but I get back up, trying to regain bearings. I look forward and meet eyes with the biter a mere yard away. Its neck is snapped backwards with its head entangled in bulging veins while ghostly white eyes are buried deep within its sockets. It screeches a guttural scream before sprinting right at me. I fire my shotgun, but I miss each time. It springs right on top of me, and I shut my eyes waiting for the fatal bite. Bam! My eardrums ring as this thing flops down threateningly close to my throat. I push it aside and see the shallow image of a cloth-torn carter. He offers me a hand, and I grasp it. Thought you'd still be here, he said as he was pulling me up. Look, I hate to say it, but if Harper doesn't do anything, then we're done. We gotta get to him, and I don't think we'll make it through, so we'll have to split. I stop as Carter is already running in the opposite direction. Yes, he wants to live just a little bit more than me. Without thinking another word, I turn away from Carter and dash in the direction I last saw Harper unholstering my glock. After making out a few more biters, I found Harper stranded in his thoughts, surrounded by a SWAT team taking out anything that got close to him. Reasoning that my quick-thinking efforts were as stupid as I first thought, I hastily made my way to Harper. Ignoring my obligation of exult, I anxiously warned him. Harper! We're not going to last much longer out here. Are we going to receive backup anytime soon? Backup? You still thinking we're going to get some kind of backup? Look around you, this place is beyond repair! He exclaimed. I stared at what was happening around me, and I quickly realized what was happening was terrible. We were getting pushed back more and more with people within our ranks turning on each other. Chaos has emerged as guards deserted medics, medics deserted civilians, and civilians deserted each other. You could see friends looking for friends and panicked families looking for their kids while other civilians just wanted to get the hell out of there. Harper was right. We couldn't stop this alone anymore. As minutes passed... We kept losing more and more fronts and soon the biters had cornered us with fallen civilians and law units making up nearly half of them, even though it was hard firing on our own. We knew that they were gone and our deaths were almost inevitable, but that didn't mean that they had to be in vain. We weren't going down without a fight. We gathered the remnants of our supplies and manpower and made our last stand. Ammunition was scarce, sure, but using our weapons as melee would have to do. Some put pistols in their mouths, while others believed that if we did this now, we would buy enough time for the government to do something. All we could do was just keep hope. One by one, people sacrificed themselves by throwing themselves at the mob of biters. I watched as the person in front of me was shredded within the thing's teeth. I knew it was my turn. I turned my Glock upside down ready to join whatever place those who died go to. Just as I raised my arm to land my final blow, I heard a fusade of bullets come from behind me followed by a rapid sound sliced in the air. I turned around and saw four local military rescue helicopters shelling the biters in front of us. Everybody swiftly made space for the landing helicopters while the fighters enraged as ever charging at the survivors determined to leave no one alive. All remaining in sector two has been compromised. Fall back to the helicopters. Muffled voices on the radio spoke as people frantically scrambled onto the helicopters. The chopper's automatic rifles were now reloading and the remaining ammo in our guns barely made a dent in the uprising horde of fighters. By the time I finally found an open space, people were getting tackled by biters left and right screaming through the pain. I knew this was my last chance. I jumped into one of the helicopters just as I felt it jolt upright and it began to rise from the ground and fly upwards. The other choppers quickly followed, but a straggling amount of biters managed to reach one of the helicopters just before it took off. They swarmed the cockpit, forcing the chopper to spin out of control and crash backwards into the ground with a cloud of smoke emanating from its broken figure. The other helicopters, including mine, just barely escaped before we suffer the same fate. The cool air brushed against my face as we reached a higher altitude. It's over, I thought, just as I heard a growl come from beside me. I sharply looked to my right and saw a SWAT member sitting next to me, but when I looked into his eyes, I saw nothing but a pale abyss of a long-dead human. An explosion rattles the helicopter we're in. I look down at the demolished helicopter and see a bright orange haze blocking my view. As it dissipates, I could see the downed copter is now nothing but a disfigured mess of ash and metal. Another growl shakes me from my trance as I take another look to my right and see that the thing is nearly on top of me. Without another thought. I grab the shoulders of its bulletproof vest and begin to push it to the edge of the copter. The people around me quickly realize the situation and begin screaming and kicking at the biter sitting next to me, creating a loud commotion in the plane and blocking any shots from being fired. The biter turns its attention to the other people on board and I know I only have seconds before we end up like the helicopter beneath us. Despite the heavy armor hanging on the thing's limbs, after gathering all the remaining energy I had left in my muscles, I shoved the thing as far out with my arms as I could. I lost my grasp on the biter as I felt my hands give out and sharply turn downwards. The thing's fading screech was the only thing that made me realize that throughout the whole ordeal, I hadn't taken a single breath. I took in a huge portion of air before crawling back deeper into the plane. The crowd inside is huddled in the middle, no one wanting to accidentally slip and fall onto their deaths. Part military personnel on board is hastily putting restraints on the outer edge part of the plane to keep a locked and safe perimeter. A few people wearing a thick all camo outfit managed to slowly but surely make their way towards me without causing too much inconvenience. "'Sir, are you all right? "'We saw you single-handedly take down that biter. "'We're sorry we couldn't support you, but with all these civilians—' "'One of them, presumably the sergeant speaks up. "'It's all right. "'No more lives were lost. "'That's what matters.' I say, peeking through the constraints being installed on my side of the copter. We're going to have to check you, though, he responds. Can't have any more of these things on board. As his men begin to closely inspect me, he continues. Are you feeling well? No signs of lightheadedness, tight chest, difficulty breathing, etc.? As the short answers to his questions nearly end, the soldiers around me warp up with their observations their commander tells me that you could call it a miracle that no other people were close enough to me to have spread the infection. You handled that situation fairly well, judging by your uniform. You're a cop, aren't you? How many years have you been in service? He curiously asked. Uh, about six years now. Been a hell of a ride. Used to be. The copter violently shakes before I could finish. We all struggle to find something to hang onto against the turbulence. The helicopter eventually calms and we regain our balance. Not as much of a hell as this, huh? The commander says, still clutching the metal bar he had found at the side of the copter. He shakes his head and looks at me. When we heard the distress signal coming from your area, they sent out the first aircrafts they could get their hands on. He stops and goes silent for a moment. Didn't expect so many of you to be here. I mean, more helicopters were on the way, so it wouldn't have been so crowded, but how couldn't it have happened so damn fast, he ponders, lost in thought. I take the time to take a better look through the gaps in the outside entrance of the copter. After struggling to get back up, my legs eventually regained balance on the metal floor. I peered out onto the ground and saw that the emergency broadcasts were doing their job with keeping people inside. Nearly all the houses that had lights on with their cars in the parking lot with no one visible on the ground. Suddenly... I get the urge to ask the first thing that's supposedly to pop up in my head. Sir, do you mind telling me where exactly our destination lies? The military commander turns his face to me and automatically speaks. Nowhere special. If you're interested, away from those biters at least. Before he trails off again, I repeat my question in a more aggressive tone. Where are we going, sir? His response sends me off guard as he looks me straight in the eye and sternly says, You'll know when we land. Sit tight. That instantly shuts me up, and the rest of the trip is nearly quiet aside from your daily coughs and sneezes, similar to the ones in public transports. The commander made occasional announcements, telling us not to panic and that we're going to be brought somewhere safe. He also instructed everyone to hand over all their gadgets and any kind of weapons they were carrying. After a thorough search through our bags and pockets, he also addressed everyone in the police force, including me, to not contact our superiors or any other colleagues via radio. Even though I didn't receive any news about the progression of the outbreak, The radios the military held were still on. Unfortunately, that didn't help my case as a few times the military personnel on board did use them. Their codes were so scrambled trying to decipher it, it would have led to an irritating headache within minutes. However, after a while of this, I felt my ears begin to pop and noticed that we were slowly dropping altitude. I still didn't know where we were supposed to arrive but I was starting to notice fewer shelters on the ground and overall more rural landscapes the further we flew from the city. I was considering again asking the question now that we were close when the commander made another announcement. All right, listen up. We're preparing to land at our destination. You'll have multiple guards escorting you into the building so don't even think about trying anything and don't struggle. It'll make the whole ordeal so much simpler pauses. And safer. The next thing I know, the helicopter slowly begins to drop downwards and I see a group of guards standing outside. When the copter touches the ground beneath us and its propellers slowly came to a stop, a number of soldiers emerged from the group of armed men and split us up into three small groups. I ended up in the second group and watched as the first group was taken away by the first batch of soldiers awaiting outside. As they walked away, I saw another helicopter had landed in another land pad not far away from us. People from inside the plane began to walk out, and I saw a familiar teen walk out and start a fuss. I thought the other soldiers and his buddies were trying to warn him, but I didn't get the time to see. Because just as he pushed a commanding officer, with a leap of strength, a soldier came up to him and smashed the butt of his rifle against the teen's face with brute force. The teen dropped, and I saw two men pick him up and carry away his limp body. As the scene faded, I heard a gruff voice telling us to get out of the plane. We did what he said, and once we were out... The soldiers patted our sides and pockets and we began walking to the direction of the building in front of us. It had no extraordinary remarks, aside from the grayish haze that coated the surface of its three-story floors. I tilted my head around, just enough to inspect my surroundings and not cause any suspicion. I glanced at the guards and saw that their faces were calm but still had their hands tightly gripped on their M4s at their sides. I also managed to sneak a look over my shoulder and guessed that we were in the middle of nowhere since there was nothing in sight aside from a few distant trees. I didn't notice how my pace slowed down as I continued to hastily look around. Hey! Move it, officer! This ain't a museum! A soldier behind me says as he forcefully nudges me forward. I annoyingly pulled my hand away and continued to move forward. When we reach the building, I see another task force is already waiting for us just outside the entrance. The previous soldiers that were with us leave and go back towards the helicopter while the new troops take us in. Inside, the first thing that shows up is a hallway with offices on either side all leading up towards a set of stairs. We are tentatively escorted up the stairs leading to the second floor where a lounge of some sort stood before we even have time to get off the stairs. We again find ourselves being pushed up and continued walking until we reach the next floor, where I see six cages strategically positioned on the walls, three on each side, and one already occupied with the first group that got out of the helicopter. This was the final straw for all of us. Everyone in my group began to barricade the soldiers with bitter comments relating to the fact that there was no way any of us were going in there. I watched the first group, expecting them to rise up with us, but all they did was pitifully stare at us. Soon enough, the soldiers' warnings to temper our anger proved to be pointless, and that's when they began aiming their guns at us and nearly screaming at us to get inside the cage. This quieted the collective anger we held, as one of the officers placed a keycard on the lock, and one by one we stepped inside the cage. When we were all inside, the soldiers shut the door and went to check on the other group. What I hadn't really realized is that aside from me, there were only two other people with me in my group, though it always seemed like we had more. After a few minutes of thought and silence, one of the people with us walked up to me and offered a hand. Name's Rob. Brad, pleasure, I say as he observes me in my uniform. Ah, so you were on the front lines. Must be really nice with all that action. Ha, oh, you bet, I sarcastically remarked. Just then, we hear shouts come from the staircase and I see a rowdy group, just a bit bigger than ours, come and arguing with the soldiers. Get your hands off me! I could walk alone! I hear someone yelling in the group. We already told you we're not getting inside those damn cages, so why don't you take that shiny rifle of yours and shove it up your... That's when one of the soldiers had had enough, and points his rifle threateningly close to the guy making insults. Just like us, their protests stop rather quickly and they get inside the cage beside us one by one. As they were entering the cage, I took a close look at all of them and when the last person from their group stepped inside the cage, I instantly recognized who he was. Tyler! Oh my god! I thought you were dead! Where were you back there? Tyler turns around to face me, and I could see the shock and relief come past his face. Brad, good to see you're still standing. I thought I saw you at one point back there by the outcast, but there was just so many damn people, and those biters everywhere. He looked upwards as if he was trying to recall something. I can't remember a thing. Last thing I know, I was getting shoved into a helicopter. Then I wake up and we're soaring through the air. Then those soldiers. Assholes. Suddenly, a thought came to the front of my mind. Hey, were you on the helicopter where those guards knocked out that kid from earlier? What kid? Oh yeah, I was with them on the copter. Frankly, he was annoying the hell out of everyone during the trip. Warning after warning. Thought they would carry him away or something. But they couldn't handle it. Hope he's okay now, though, Tyler answers. We stand behind the barbed walls in front of us, as we both think back at what had happened. You know, Tyler begins, how does one start in a battlefield defending their nation only for them to be repaid by being shoved into a small confined cage with nothing but rusty sink and a toilet? I mean, we could be treated like veterans, not some kind of prisoners would have at least given us a nice small room with some essentials he laughs guess they really want to keep us on edge i chuckle and chances are nobody even knows wait what do you mean that nobody even knows you have some people you know here right they'll notice you're missing and not the truth is out there i don't know i don't get called in when these things start local military don't hear of it for a while they didn't tell us when this whole thing started didn't tell us when it got here hell they still probably not telling anyone what happened back there probably already contacting our families and friends i disclose but they couldn't just hide all that could they we stand there silently once again getting lost in thought when rob approaches wait you didn't know any of this he says in a surprised tone. Well, I didn't know about my colleagues since I was on vacation, but in terms of protocol, they should have contacted me earlier. Chances are everyone's orders are delayed until the last second. Wow, they really want to keep this a secret from everyone, huh? Didn't they realize all this would just lead to this? Why didn't they send you all out? Because they thought they could stop it. An aged voice came from behind us. We turned to a crouched man, probably in his mid-sixties, standing in a crouched position on the other side of the cage. His white hair was brushed to the side. His chin was shaven, but he wore a pale face with tired eyes. They did it once. Thought they could get away with it again, he said, almost like he was recollecting a past moment in his life. What do you mean they could do it again? This is the first time the police and military force have encouraged this kind of outbreak at this scale. If they hadn't, we wouldn't be standing here in this godforsaken cage, I exclaimed. That was the idea. Dealt with it once. Comes up again, no sweat. But that's not what happened. We stared at him with curiosity, waiting for him to continue. There was... A similar case once when I was still fit to serve I was on a patrol when they called us in the voice sounded urgent desperate even by the time we had arrived most of the action had already wrapped up and I still heard the last gunshots and the last screams even with the windows closed I had noticed aside from us but there was also agents Probably the FBI already scanning the area. They hurriedly led us away, but I managed to catch just a glimpse of what was never meant to be seen. Someone shot out of there. It looked like an officer, but something was off. He was about to jump on someone. Then I heard a shot ring out. I didn't want to see the rest of it. In any case, I played dumb afterwards during the interviews, but... My God, how many years have passed. His fingertips rub the surface of his closed eyelids in an exhausting manner. They know how to keep you silent. They'll learn everything about you, keep you in line with such intimidation. Well, it's only when you're old like me when your days are numbered that you don't care how many threats they throw at you. He signs and looks at me. I'm sorry what you had to see today, son. If they release us, I want you to get to as many other people as you can and get as far away from this place as possible. It's only a matter of time. I nod at him with empathy in my eyes before he looks away and I ask, Hey, I didn't catch your name. He turns his attention back on me. Oh, I almost forgot chris my name's chris he says just as we begin to hear the familiar voices of struggling coming from the stairs down below us i don't remember how much time passed as we all sat in those cages sometimes people would be brought by and shoved into nearby cages or sent to another sector altogether aside from surveilling us 24 7 They had daily checks on us concerning any symptoms or temperatures we had. Some people tried to defy their authority by not answering their questions, but by the third day, there wasn't any hesitation to comply with what they had said. There wasn't any visible clocks. The only thing keeping me on track was the time of the meals they brought us. Each day and nightly lights out, they would announce as they walked by each cell each time was no different we were in the middle of a discussion when the main lights turned off and the backup ones came on we heard footsteps walk past ourselves doing the usual drill we all said our goodnights and I lumbered off into a crimson darkness good morning sleepy asses don't care how you slept need all your ears and eyes now I was suddenly awoken by the commander's voice people drowsily rubbing their eyes and looking at him everyone get to the back of your confinement the following called up will step up to the front of their cell and wait until given further instructions we have all your personal data and know what you look like so anyone that decides to commit identity fraud will be severely punished we all move to the back of the cages as he begins reading the names of his list why do you think they're calling people up Rob whispered to me, probably questioning from what I guess. The commander finishes reading the list and ends with a final name. Brad Harrison. After the initial shock of hearing my name, I walk to the front of the cage and turn around. Rob is peering at me with worried eyes while Chris is looking at me with confidence, almost determination. Do not attempt to struggle while we extract you from your cell, the officer says as nearby units begin unlocking our cages. The cage to my cell opens up and I begin to step out. Before they have me in handcuffs position, I manage to catch a glimpse at Tyler who gives me the approving nod as he lines up to the front and begins to walk forward. We're all pulled out of our cells and watch as the rest of the soldiers moved to the other sectors while we began to head towards the stairs. Even though this would have made a great opportunity to make a run for it, something kept all of us intact, almost like the feeling that we should just follow the guards' orders. We head down to the next floor and enter the room with the lounge I had previously seen the first time I was on these stairs. We walk past most of the room, when I see a single door on the left at the end of the room. Beside the door, two soldiers were standing with rifles in hand. One of them pulled out a keycard and used it to open the door we were heading for. Once we're all inside the well-lit room, we see a few groups are already sitting down on separate aluminum benches you would see in stadiums. We start moving towards an empty bench when I notice something. On all the benches, there are regular people in civilian clothing aside from one member in each of the group. Unlike the civilians around them, they wore a uniform, but not one of a guard, but more one of similar of a commanding officer. I didn't have time to ponder on the thought as we're all ushered onto the bench. And just like in the other groups, a man older than me but younger than Chris is already waiting for us. We all sit down, as a high-ranking officer comes to the middle of the room and waits for the few, nearly inaudible whispers to stop before he clears his throat. Now, I can guess what you're probably thinking right now, the commander starts with a friendly but firm voice, and after all you've been through, I can't say I blame you, however, We need to be aware of those infected and those not, because if one more mistake was made, it would be over for all of us. Know that your family and friends have been contacted and you just might have a chance to see them again. The outbreak that you previously witnessed has been suppressed, and the majority of the biters have been taken out by the military. That said, our local military forces have exhausted all their weaponry and manpower into extraditing the biters and aside from keeping the city on lockdown they barely have enough men to patrol half of the quarantine off zone. Meaning for now, they're temporarily defective in the fight. The quarantine area is large in perimeter and any open space can prove vital for the biters if they find a way out, and fatal to us. Military outside of our own has only recently received news of the outbreak and by the time they arrive, well... Every second counts in any case. Their inexperience will cost them many lives if they do arrive on time. But you, my friends, you have the experience, the one essential in wiping out those things from the face of the earth. But there is also another reason why we put such high faith in you. We gathered you all here because you were all trained men in defending the nation. You know what these things are, and you know how to deal with them. Without you, these biters could escape, and all the armies we—without ha- you, these biters could have escaped, and all the armies we have wouldn't be enough to stop them. So I give you an offer: you can either go back now and return back to your cell, get released, and hope you can live a normal life soon, or you can do the entire world a favor and end this nightmare for good. Everyone in the room is silent deciding what to do next. No one leaves. Good choice, the commander asserts, catching everyone's eye in the room. Now before you go, I'd like all of you to meet someone. This is Professor Lestings. He conveys pointing to a middle-aged man with white hair and bags under his eyes emerging from the seats far back. He'll explain the procedures needed to be executed if someone within your group gets bitten and if you haven't already heard them, the protocols. The commander sits down on one of the free spaces on the benches as the professor gets on stage. Thank you for your introduction, Captain. As you have heard, I am Professor Lestings, the head medical personnel in this facility. From what you have seen... I have no doubt that you know how to eliminate a flesh biter, but there are some things you are missing that could be crucial in saving your own life in an encounter with one of these biters. You see, when someone gets bitten, the substance emitted from the biters takes control over their brain making their victim unable to the virus's actions. The exact origin of this virus is not precisely known, as well as the exact location of its outbreak. The virus's effects are fairly rapid and the scale of infection has been unexpected, to say the least. One of the main factors concerning the prolification of these biters is the hesitation. The creation of an antidote is still in process for the initial stages of the infection. Where the redemption is still possible, however, a cure has yet to be created. So in the case of infection, it will take the virus a maximum of two or three minutes take a hold of the host before they have to be terminated to stop the virus from operating in their system. The professor looks at all of us and changes his tone. This is the last point where you can turn back, as when you enter the quarantined area, no one will let you in or out until all the biters are eliminated and before the threat becomes irreversible. The doc repeats the other protocols, and after he finishes, we're all combined into groups of 12 to form task forces ensuring the last of the biters are taken out. We're taken through the main procedures of the plan, and after we're all ready, we hastily gather all the equipment and get to the copters. During the short flight, I wonder what will happen when I get there. Still being nagged by the unnerving memory of seeing the blue veins spread across the insides of the biter's face. My commander seems to notice and questions me about it. You alright, champ? You look a little stale. I'm fine, commander. Just reviewing the plan, that's all. I say with a wee smile. I know what you saw out there. Those things ain't pretty. They take away whatever they can get their hands on from you. But life ain't easy, and you just have to get through it with these things sometimes. And if we don't do this now, then we will never get a chance to do it again. He looks me in the eye. Yeah, you're right, Commander. You're right. He begins leaning back on his chair when I ask him, Have you ever seen anything like this? He turns around, surprised, and slowly answers my question. No, I, uh, haven't. Why do you ask? It's nothing. Whether this had happened before or not, those biters are going back to where they belong. Oblivion. The commander's concerned look turns into a smile. There's hope for you yet, kid. I noticed the helicopters were beginning to lower as we all braced ourselves for the last impact. Once the copters touched the ground, we all got a hold of our rifles and jumped out onto the grass. As we all began jogging towards the barbed fence, I took in the familiar surroundings I had seen the last time I was here. Caution tape was still loosely hanging around the park as the usual sounds of birds chirping along the tone. As we got closer to the entrance of the quarantine zone, I saw soldiers, dressed similar like us, wearing dark gear and gas masks attached to their heads. They were heavily guarding the entrance of the zone and patrolling the nearby area. A medical tent was set up not far from the troops, with both them and medical personnel present. To top it all off, There were a few heavy armored trucks situated right next to the guards, machine guns loaded on top, like the ones I had seen earlier. We all come up to the troops standing next to the entryway and our commander comes forward to talk to the guards. Pack 2 going in for the final scan? Understood. You are clear to move out. And be careful out there. We haven't heard from the last group that went in for a while acknowledged we'll stay cautious our commander responds to the guard before the soldier unlocks the gate and radios of our rival before we walk in we stand in a shaded area where the sun's rays were unable to penetrate the thick branches above us there is a dirt path leading deeper into the park which i knew would turn into a dirt trail if we went further aside from the path There were no other buildings in sight, and no real other direction to follow. Before we move forward, our captain reminds us that our objective is to explore our sector and the forest and check every single structure in the area until we reach the other side of the zone from where we would return to the main entrances and await further orders, if there are any. We follow the passage through the woods, and eventually reaching a clearing where we could see a few wooden houses with one standing out from the rest containing two stories. All scattered across the field, we enter the small cabins first with nothing particularly special in them except for the furniture left behind by the owners. Next. We go to the bigger house, where our actions become more ginger as we open the rusty door and hear its creaking echoes throughout the old house's insides. We moved in with our weapons close and ready to fire as we went from room to room. With the first floor empty, we went up the stairs to reach the second. The first room we saw had an open doorway with a hand peeking out at us. Out of instinct, someone in my group fired, but our commander quickly silenced us. As the view of the room itself became more clear, we saw that the arm belonged to a dead corpse of what we thought was the biter considering the black pools surrounding it, a bullet already implanted inside its chest. It wasn't long before we left the building and continued to explore the rest of the area. Aside from the occasional notifications we got of more squads entering the zone, the process repeated itself to the point where we were actually getting bored walking over sticks and dodging branches. As we moved out of a particularly crowded area, all of our radios suddenly burst into the life. Hello? Someone said in a panicked voice, shots ringing in the background. This is Pack 4 in the Midwest, requesting immediate reinforcements. We are close to the tall yellow building. Fighters have overrun our. The voice stops as a blood curdling screech can be heard in the background as all noise cuts off. After a moment of silence, the commander pulls out his radio and puts his mouth to it. Pack 4, can you give us your exact coordinates? No answer. Pack 4, do you copy? All available squadrons move into the Midwest area, the quarantine area. Keep an eye out for any signs of a yellow structure. The commander lowered his radio, taking out a pair of binoculars and began looking around. There, he says, pointing behind us. We turn and sure enough... Behind the storm of branches, a yellow building just tall enough to stretch its neck over the woods is situated past the trees in front of us. We're probably the closest squad to them. If we hurry, we could probably make it. Come on! We ran past the twigs slicing our faces, the mud below us sloshing under our boots as the building we were heading for kept getting bigger in size. The closer we got, the more clear the shouts and gunshots we heard up ahead. When we were close enough, we slowed down our run as we were carefully looking around the bushes. The sounds of struggle had ceased and all that could be heard now was a low deep growls. Even though I didn't want to believe it, my fears were confirmed when I took a glance out of my crouched position and saw bodies lying on the floor. The crossfire had stopped, and it looked like the biters had been victorious as they roamed the woods in front of us, some wearing military attire. A specific biter caught my attention. Even from the back, I think he was in one of the cells at the same room I was in. His face slowly turned to face me, and I swiftly hid behind a tree before he spotted me. I looked to the commander who was motioning us to prepare to kill all the remaining biters he began to count down from 3 2 1 we all aimed our rifles at the closest target and fired momentarily stunned at the sudden attack the biters immediately reacted and charged us we continued to shoot off our rounds making sure to always have someone covering us when we were reloading our surprise attack couldn't last forever as the vast numbers of the biters caught up to us they all came down at us at once and despite our best efforts to only shoot at the biters our shots got caught in both the biter and our own squad member. ...with only a few managing to push the biters off them and land a bullet inside their heart. Suddenly, a figure jumped up behind the horde of biters and proceeded to gun down a large portion of the things storming towards us. His distraction allowed us to take out the remaining biters in view. However, a lone biter managed to break through his defense, tackling him to the floor... Just as the biter tore the M4 out of his hands and sharply pulled back its head for a fatal round into its back, causing its body to fall to the ground and go still. The figure pushes off the biter off of him, panting with dirt covered every inch of him. When he saw me, his face relaxed and he let out a laugh. I gave him a hand, which he grasped, and I helped him up. So now we're even, I say. Well, I guess we are, Carter replies. Someone shoots at the sky to see if the noise would attract any hidden biters as we hear more moans coming from inside the forest. As much as a touching reunion would be nice, we need to finish the task at hand. Do you know if any of your squad members are still alive? I don't think so. Most of them got bit and I saw a couple run farther into the woods, but I don't think any of them made it far. We checked if Carter had any bites or scratch marks and he seemed to be in the clear. The commander decided to take him in and we informed him of the mission. Things ran smoothly from there and we briskly got past the few remaining standing biters all up until we reached the end of the zone where we were preparing to head back. "'Hey, I think we missed a building,' said Carter, as we all looked at what he was pointing to. A silver laboratory lay hidden within the trees with no sign of anybody already have been checked it. The remainder of the group strode to the front doors of the lab. It was locked and we didn't know if a few kicks would do it, so for some safe measure one person from the group got the sledgehammer and eventually battered the door down the feeling when we stepped inside was foreboding the weak light of the exit sign barely illuminated the ominous reception area in front of us we turned on our flashlight rifles to get a better view of our surroundings as we got closer to the front desk we saw what looked to be a nurse sprawled all over the floor It was clear dried blood was flown down from her skull onto her white dress. There were two dim hallways on either side, and we all split up, separating me from Carter. The doors were all closed, but not locked, like the front ones. We directed the muzzle of our guns at the handles of the nearby doors and carefully pulled it open. As soon as it was ajar, a biter in military gear crashed through throwing himself on the wall he grabbed the first person in arm's reach and we instantaneously reacted and fired at the level of the biter's chest until he went limp i reloaded as the commander and the others went to scan the room i followed suit and went inside the room finding a scientist laying on the floor with a glock line near his chest we quickly examined the other rooms before moving on to the stairs our commotion had brought about more biters from the upper floor as we took on a couple of them tripping over the stairs and rolling down breaking just about every remaining bone that was intact on their bodies we boosted up the stairs before any other biters decided to investigate what was happening downstairs when we reached the second floor There were a few infected scientists just wandering around the labs maintaining their test rooms. When they saw us, they began shuffling towards us. The area that was persistently getting hit by the butt of my rifle began to throb as flashes emanated from my M4 and the biters fell one by one. Me and another person from my squad entered through a door leading to another office. My bright flashlight shone into the dark room, dust flying around. There didn't seem to be any biters or bodies on the floor so far, but we both decided to look around the room. I came up to the edge of the room and saw a desk with a piece of paper lying on it. When I took a closer look, I saw that it was not a document but a letter with crooked sentences hastily scribbled on it. I was going to ignore it when I saw three words that immediately caught my attention. Flesh-biting virus. I promptly looked back when I saw something light up accompanied by two gunshots coming from the other room, and something fell down with a loud thud. I looked back at the letter, and after speedily looking it over, noticed it was also explaining the origin and usage of the virus. I thought Lestings told us they didn't know where the origin of the virus came from. The commander started gathering everyone back and my other squad member in the room waved me over. I pushed away my doubt and pocketed the letter as I got up. Our commander gave us some brief checks before speaking. Come on, he announced. We are getting out of here. We all start heading down again and follow the dull red glowing coming from the end of the hallway. When we reach the door, we were flying the open head taking in a fresh breath air. That breath is interrupted when we all hear someone making his way through some tall bushes. He finally emerges from a series of birch trees and I feel dread building up in my stomach. Its head was turned to an unnatural degree with a dark red wound placed into his throat. One of his arms had been snapped off and was uselessly hanging there at his side. Parts of his lips were gone and I thought one of his eyes was beginning to roll back into his head as well. Then, he turned to look at our group and he gazed at me. I couldn't help but feel the cold as the metal in my hands got heavier by the moment. Without a second thought, It screeched and dashed towards us. My finger laid on the trigger, but I couldn't make a move. The thing lurched at me as I heard gunfire and red holes appeared in his uniform. His body stopped mid-movement and was pushed backwards by the impact of the bullets. The anger faded from him as he fell and he looked at me with sad but in a way thankful eyes as Jared fell into the mud. When we finally reached the main entrance again, the sky was beginning to turn orange with the sun not far from the horizon. Tyler's group was already there when we got to the exit, and we exchanged a few words as they were getting checked for any signs of infection. We then got on our separate copters and flew back to the base. From what the commander told me, We were going to be released tomorrow, and for the time being, we would get our own private quarters as a means of thanking us. We were even allowed to go anywhere from the first to the second floor if we were feeling hungry or thirsty, but the third floor was strictly off-bounds. When we arrived, we took off our gear and we were taken to our designated rooms and told to contact any of the guards if need be. Once we were left alone, I chatted with Tyler and Carter as well as some other members in my group before I got some food and water and went back to my quarters. I placed everything on my desk and relaxed in a chair, thinking about what I would do when I was released. I heard something drop to the floor, and I saw it was a letter that I had taken from the facility. I picked it up and told myself, the do not disturb sign outside would do enough to at least buy me five or ten minutes to look through the letter i skipped the parts about the procedures and what the virus does and began to read where it came from instead here's what it read we're still not exactly sure where the virus originated from but as we revisited the wide crater We found that the substance inside it would have only been found from evidence to be proved it was coming from somewhere from deep space. Like I said, I didn't want to do those experiments anymore, but they still want to pinpoint where it came from and the bonus was irresistible. But that's the least of my worries. Matt's still convinced we could use the substance to create an antivirus capable of curing at least one type of cancer. Even after all those years, he's still at it. Nobody leads it back to him, but he's as careless as ever. Do you know what happens when the substance is transferred into a person's bloodstream? Imagine what the scale of another outbreak would be if it got out of hand. I have to go now. Matt's doing something. I promise I'll visit as soon as I can. Say hello to the others for me. Mark. Mark. By the time I finished reading, I was in a state between confused and boiling. Sure, this might be all fake, but they said they would indicate the virus after the outbreak was suppressed. And after all, they were still lying to us? I don't know exactly why I went to Professor Lesting's first, but it seemed like the only logical thing to do since he was the one that knew most about the virus. Most of the doors in my hallway also had the same do not disturb sign like i did and during my walk to lestings i only saw a few faces aside from the guards when i got to lesting's office a couple of guards were standing next to his door and asked me what i was doing there i told them i told them i needed to speak with lestings and one of them gave me a sort of pat check before they let me in the professor was sitting at his desk Frowning his brows as he intently read what looked to be another document. Um... I coughed as he looked up at me and gives me a smile. Ah, you must be Brad. Come sit. I only need one chair. He beacons me to a seat in front of his desk. The armchair is soft and my tension gives out as I slosh deeper into it. So is there anything I could help you with? Yes, yes, Professor. Remember how you mentioned that you didn't know where this virus came from? I continued it as he gave me his attention. Well, during our mission, I found this letter that states exactly that. His face turns from serious to bewildered. Brad, my administration was aware of no such thing. Do you still have that document? Perhaps the information was falsified. With just a little hesitation, I handed him over the letter. He gave it a rough inspection, and after a few moments, he lowered it from his face and thanked me for delivering the letter to him. You better get going now. Go get some sleep. You're going to have to look sharp for them to release you, he laughs. I'll take a look at this. And with that... I stand up, stretch my back before turning around and walking towards the door. Click. I heard something come from behind me. I turned around and saw the professor holding a handgun, pointing it right at my forehead. Later, he said with a smile. Professor, what are you doing? Well now, we couldn't allow you to just walk away with all this. It would compromise everything. What are you talking about? This all ends tomorrow. Everyone will hear... Ah, but no, it doesn't. You can't even begin to understand what you're dealing with, boy. This virus has the potential to wipe out all diseases on Earth. Imagine living the life of fame, becoming the most prominent billionaire in the world, and having someone like you being the last obstacle in your path. "'You're frickin' madman!' "'A rich madman, to be precise,' he said with a sinister chuckle. "'I always insisted my walls should be soundproof.' "'Just before he pulls the trigger, "'something falls from the desk and bumps onto the ground. "'He looks to where the noise came from, "'and I take the chance to charge him. "'Now, even though this guy is nearing his retirement age,' He still has the fight of the strength to put up a challenge. I take him down and land a punch to his nose watching him howl in pain. He holds up his arms near his face as I try to break his defense but he holds off long enough to shove his fist up my gut. As we continue to exchange blows, he dodges me well enough to not lose the pistol but I attack him often enough for him not to have a chance to use it. I use my left wrist to block an incoming hit, but nearly fall sidewards as he uses the butt of his gun to swing at my skull. Before he gets the chance to aim, I thrust my knuckles near his liver. He recoils, and I expect him to fall, but he lifts his leg and kicks my knee with all his force. Out of instinct, I grab his shirt and throw him hurtling against the wall. I heard another snap as the professor defeatedly slumps to the floor. I began to approach his broken figure when I notice he's smiling, a sick, deteriorated smile. He lifts up his pistol and I hear a defeating clack. Something sharp pierces my skin and I drop to the ground, piercing myself against the wall as my vision blurs and my ears ring. What in holy hell is going on here? I think I hear Harper exclaim as he bursts in through the door with guards rushing in. A figure hurriedly comes up to me and kneels to my face and I realize it's the chief. He's talking and pleading with me but I can't make out what he's saying. I see Lestings having his weapon taken away from him and detaining by guards and medical personnel. As he's being taken away he manages to get close enough to whisper one last thing to give me sleepless nights. I see the chief being pulled away and the doctor running up to me before everything goes dark. I wake up in the hospital with the nurse standing beside me. She reveals the bullet had hit one of my vitals, which provoked a lot of blood loss and explained why I had blacked out so quickly. She also told me that the doctors barely managed to remove the bullet and stabilize me in time and that they would have to keep me in the hospital for a while before anyone was allowed to see me i had some agents visit me that made me sign some federal agreements and give me my phone back once they cleared out i had carter and some of my other family and friends there visit me they never asked me how i got shot but it was still nice to catch up from what i was told from carter when the professor was questioned he made up some bowl about how I got mad he wasn't giving out private information and how he used the gun to defend himself when I attacked him. Half of the cameras in the building were suspiciously inactive during our conversation and with no one to back either one of us up with concrete evidence, we were let off the hook and he had disappeared before anyone else could get to him. Eventually, I was released and I drove back to the nostalgic atmosphere of my neighborhood. When I got back to my house, I could say I was ready to lead a normal life again without Logan and Jack. But there was still something that made me look over my shoulder every once in a while. Something that occasionally gives me nightmares I wake up from in a cold sweat. That virus is still out there. If another outbreak happens we may not be so lucky we might not be able to stop it and that will be our last mistake I know I shouldn't be telling this to everyone but after staying silent for so long everyone needs to know what they're up against all I hope is that the virus is locked away deep inside a hidden place that is never coming back to the face of the earth but if it does Well then, the professor's words weren't in vain, because after all, I can't stop the inevitable.